Church family, as you find your seat, I hope you'll find your copy of God's Word, whether you have a printed copy, as I highly encourage and hope you'll make a habit of bringing with you on the Lord's Day at Church at the Mill in 2023, or you have an app, a device on your phone, I want you to find the book of Ephesians. I want you to find the book of Ephesians, and when you find the book of Ephesians, I'd like for you to find the fifth chapter, Ephesians chapter 5. I am not in the book of Ephesians in our weekly preaching ministry. We completed a sermon series over Christmas focusing on living our lives before the king. And to do that, we paused our current journey through the book of 1 Corinthians. We will take that back up next week. I am very excited about a new sermon series I'll be preaching simply called American Idols out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 as we walk through the Bible verse by verse. If you are a guest of ours this morning, that is the pattern of our preaching ministry, that we walk through the Bible verse by verse and that we milk it for all of its nourishment in our lives. And so most of the time, I'm in a book walking through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, line by line, because we believe that is the most faithful way to communicate our theology of the Bible. We believe the Bible is inerrant, inspired, infallible. Those are big words that simply means we believe this is the word of God, filled with the words of God for our lives. It is supreme in its authority over our lives. If you were to condense the theology of church at the mill into two sentences, it's really simple. The Bible is true and Jesus saves. That's what we believe. That is the foundation of who we are. And so I cannot wait to begin a new year with you. 19 years ago this week, I began pastoring this church, and I've never been more excited to come and to join you again in his word. But when you have a unique opportunity like today, I think you do well to take advantage of it. What do I mean today? What do I mean by Today. What is so unique about today? Well, I don't know what you'll be doing in 2034, but that's the next time that Sunday will fall on January 1st, the Lord's Day. The next time you and I get to kick off the first day of the year will be in 2034. Now, some of you, I could tell when you put that graphic up, you thought, I hope I'm with the Lord in 2034. Well, that's between you and the Lord. I still have some things I need to get done down here, like raising my children, and I'll still have children in the house in 2030. You know what? I'm ready to go home to. I'll go with you. If you're ready, take, take me with you. Laurel will be better off and wealthier. 2034 is the next time the new year will begin on Sunday. That means today matters. Now, I, I recognize that the subject of New Year's resolutions can be lighthearted. Uh, it, it can be a little cheesy. It can be a little gimmicky. I, I get all that. But, but as I have aged in my life, I do find that there are crossroads in my year where I take a step back and I look at how I'm living my life and I ask some questions. I, I think the older you get, the more wise you become, the more mature you become, the more you recognize the urgency of time, the more you reflect on 
this. I'm not so sure I thought that much about tomorrow or next week or next month as a 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old young man. But over my life, there are points where I ask the simple question, what do I need to do to be more faithful in my walk with the Lord? What are the areas where I need to shore them up? And so when I saw this date coming a few months ago, I decided to write this message in and around spiritual New Year's resolutions. And I want to be theological, I want to be biblical, but I also want to be extremely, unapologetically practical. When you leave here in just a few moments, I'm not suggesting that what I'm going to give you is exhaustive or the only things the Lord would have you focus on this year. You may have some health goals, some business goals, some financial goals in your life, some relationship goals, some marriage goals, some parenting goals. Those are good things. I choose to focus my attention this morning on your spiritual life. And a great passage to form a foundation around this simple message I'll call resolutions is in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, I have preached through the book of Ephesians here at Church of the Mill. It's been many years. I've preached out of the book of Ephesians on several occasions. But Ephesus is an important point in Paul's ministry. He spends a short period of time there on his second missionary journey. But on his third missionary journey, he ministers there for almost two years. In fact, a riot pushes him out of the city of Ephesus because so many people are converting to the faith of Christianity. A man named Artemis, who built idols for a living, was being put out of business. And so he stirred up the Jewish opposition and the Roman opposition against Paul. Paul had to be escorted out with Roman guards for fear that he would be killed, that a, a riot would ensue. And so the book of Ephesus was written about the same time that Paul wrote the book of Colossians, and it was circulated. Interestingly about the book of Ephesus, though, unlike Galatians or 1 Corinthians, where Paul was being very personal and very direct about specific issues in the church, Ephesus is a gift to the church because the book of Ephesians is pretty wide in its breadth. In other words, if you want to find the one place to go to the Bible and read a general overview of how to live the Christian life and how the Christian church should function, theologians are going to tell you to go to the book of Ephesians. It is rich with theology and application, and it divides that way. The first three chapters of the book are really Paul dealing with the deep theological truths of salvation. But then by the time we get to chapter 4 and 5 and 6, he takes this deep, rich truth of the gospel and he applies it into our lives as church, as church leaders, as husbands, as wives, as parents, as employees, as employers, as worshipers, as people whose life should matter. And this is where we get this passage I chose to focus on this morning. It's in a larger context of what it looks like to walk in love. If you look at chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians and just draw your eyes to verse 1, you'll see sort of the subject matter. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And then the rest of chapter 5 is fleshing out what this walk with Christ looks like that is to be characterized by the love of Christ in us. 
Now, for our attention this morning, I'd like to focus just on verses 15, 16, and 17. And then to close with verse 18. This is what Paul says. Look carefully then how you walk. Now, of course, he's not talking about your physical walk. Some of you, like me, are clumsy. I trip when the carpet changes colors. And so I understand what it's like to be clumsy. But he's not talking about your physical walk. He's talking about your life with Jesus. And there are many metaphors used in the Bible about that daily journey of walking with Jesus. But the verb walk is used most often. And many commentators and pastors will point out, it's not a sprint, it's a walk. It's one day in front of the other. It's one week in front of the next week. It's one year in front of the next year. In fact, spiritual maturity is not equal to Christian celebrity. We, we live in a culture where we love to draw our attention toward those who have the most outward uh, measures of gifts and talents, and we equate notoriety with maturity. Yet in my experience as a Christ follower, not, not as a pastor, just as a Christian, since I became a Christian as an eight-year-old boy, the most mature followers of Jesus I've ever met were not the most talented, the most genius, the most wealthy, the best-looking, the, the, the most well-known. They were people who put one foot in front of the other, who walked with Jesus yesterday, and they walk with him today, and they walk with him tomorrow. And, 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 and while it's not a flashy term, one of the characteristics that emerges in their life is consistency. They're just consistent. They are who they are. And then what happens is, is that you're drawn to these people, not because of their amazing gifts or talents. You're drawn to them because you know who they are. You know who they are because they're consistent. And they are who they are in Christ. You know who they are because they know who they are. And therefore, mature Christians are characterized by a genuine, consistent, daily walk with the Lord. This is true whether you're in the first century in a Greco-Roman world or you're here in the 21st century in a Western American world. And so Paul says in verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. In, in other words, being saved doesn't get you off the hook. It actually puts you on the hook. Watch how you live your life as a Christian, he goes on to say, not as wise, or excuse me, not as unwise, but as wise. So there are two ways you can walk, those who are unwise and those who are wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And, and, and then in honor of New Year's Eve, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, there's a lot there. Let me break it down for you with two simple points. When it comes to our resolutions, your how is important. How you live matters to God in addition to what you believe about God. Because what you believe about God ultimately informs how you live. And how you live for the Lord is a greater testimony 
to your faith in God even above your public profession. This is why Paul, the great preacher of salvation by faith alone, Paul never taught that you ever could earn your salvation. And by God's grace, I'm so thankful for that, that there's never going to be a time where I have to somehow perform to earn the unmerited favor of God. Paul teaches and he builds his life on the doctrine of grace, which says we are saved by faith alone, through the grace of God alone, and this is done through the finished work of Christ alone. But this free gift of salvation given to us and birthed in us by the power of the Holy Spirit absolutely should change the way we live. So to profess Christ is to begin to really care how you walk with him, which is why Paul writing to Christians, not lost people. This is not a, an evangelistic book. This is a book for the church. Paul says to Christians, verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. So what is the implication? Well, it's pretty simple. You can be saved and be foolish in the way you live your life. He goes on to say, not as unwise, but as wise. So, so, in essence, when we think about the how, maturity going into this year starts with evaluation. The, the, the scripture says, look carefully then how you walk. Take a look at it. Take an honest assessment. What's the first thing the doctor does? You show up. Unfortunately, they want to weigh you. Wicked people there. They want to weigh you. And then they say, well, we're going to get some blood work. Why? Because they want to know what they're dealing with. They, they need a baseline. And then they put that in a file. And the file gets keeping bigger and bigger and bigger. And they can look back and they can see your records. There's a baseline. If your child is struggling and the struggle is more than is normal, they're truly struggling academically, you may have your child evaluated to see if there is some form of learning disability, what, why would you put your child through that? Laurel and I are walking through that with one of our children right now. Why, why would we do that? It's not because we want to hurt our son. We want to help him. So we need a baseline to, to know where he is. Great managers are evaluators. Some of you are going to crowd out the rest of you in the gym tomorrow. You won't be there long, but you're going to show up tomorrow. And if you ever get serious about your health, any personal trainer will say we need to establish two things. Where are you today? And then what are your goals? What is realistic? What do you want to accomplish? What do you want to do? You, you might weigh yourself. You might take a picture of yourself in bad lighting with your shirt off. So later you get the good lighting and spray on tan. Then you take a picture. Tan fat looks better. And so it looks like you've kept your resolutions. And so the... You, you evaluate things. If you've ever gotten a new job, and you've been put in charge of something, whether you're first classroom as a teacher, your first team as a coach, whether you're managing, it could be managing anything, an, an insurance office, uh, a, a, a clinic of some form. You're going to walk in and you're going to say, well, what do we do well? well who are we? How, how are we doing? Part of adulting is evaluating. 
We come to church and we preach about grace and we preach about love and we should, but we forget to tell people, if God cares how you're living your life, you ought to care. So take a look. Take a step back and be honest. There's no reason to be dishonest. How are you doing? Paul says, look carefully how you're living your life. Pay attention to it. Evaluate it. What a perfect opportunity for you and me to do that in our new year. But then as you evaluate it, make sure that when you do begin to expend effort, that you begin to try to do more faithfully your walk, that you do it according to his will. I think it's interesting that the text says this in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. What does that mean? Well, the wisdom of God in the Bible is not some mysterious prophetic word in every situation. Actually, it's much more practical than that. Wisdom, as the Bible describes it, is obedience to the will of God in your life. And so the more you obey and follow the Lord, the more wisdom with which you operate doesn't mean that God can't give us a special measure of wisdom when we're facing a decision. It doesn't mean that God doesn't give people a, a prophetic spirit to see situations and to speak truth into them. Certainly, we hope our pastors and our teachers have that ability to speak prophetically from God's Word. But, but wisdom celebrated in Scripture is just the ordinary man or woman doing the will of God on a daily basis. Which is why verse 16 says, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, look at verse 17. Do not be foolish. So what, what is the opposite of foolishness? Well, you, you don't have to guess. Look at the opposite. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, now God's will is not to be mysterious for you and me. The Bible says his ways are not our ways. The Bible does celebrate the fact that you and I, as finite human beings, can never fully grasp an infinite God. But God is not the author of confusion, and he has not designed the Christian walk for us to fumble and stumble our way through guessing or hoping we're getting it right. In fact, it's much more practical than that. God has spelled out clearly in his word the activities we need to do to put our souls in the best possible position to grow spiritually. This is where I think exercise teaches us so much. Some of you are going to exercise more this year. You're going to eat better. You're going to drink more water. Good for you. You should. This is your vehicle. You should take care of your body. All joking aside, there is an epidemic within the American Christian church where we are highly informed cognitively, but we are anemic or bulimic spiritually because physically we're not taking care of our vehicle, our vessel. So it is a good thing to pay attention to the way you care for your body, not for vain reasons, but your body is the vehicle by which you serve the Lord. Your body is what you use to mother your children, to father your children, to parent your children, to love your spouse, to honor your employers, to honor your employees. Your body is your vehicle by which you get on an airplane and go on a mission trip or you share your faith. And so you should take care of your vehicle. And everybody in the room, you don't, you don't have to know anything about physical training. You don't have to be athletic in your background to understand this. Everybody in the room knows 
that, that, that you actually cannot grow muscle. You don't grow muscle. God does that. You tear down your muscles and give your body nutrients, and your body responds to the exertion of energy. That's what we call it, exercise. Your body responds and says, whoa, we need more of that. And so your body begins to burn fat and to build muscle. You can't turn fat into muscle. They're two different things. But your body burns its reserves of energy, which is what fat is, and it begins to build muscle in response to you tearing it down. So there's not a guy in the room that can grow a bicep. There's not a girl in the room that can form up her abs or her legs. But every one of us, if we exert our bodies, and we have a relative amount of health, if we exert our bodies, whether we be a senior daughter and we go to the mall and we walk every day, or we be a young man and we give our heart to CrossFit, whatever it is, if we exert our bodies, our body then responds by growth. Same way in your spiritual life. You cannot grow yourself spiritually. Only God does that. But what you do through spiritual disciplines is put your soul in a position to grow. This is important. We don't manufacture this. You manufacture some emotional spiritual high through a shallow understanding of God's word, you'll burn out by February. But you put your life in a position to grow spiritually by doing the will of God, what you'll find is that he will grow you in ways you cannot even fathom. This is why Paul says, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of God is. But don't even attempt to do it in your own energy. Look what happens in verse 17. I love this. He says, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then out of the blue, it seems, he goes to verse 18. And some of you have heard me teach this before. And do not get drunk with wine. Now, you may think, well, what? wait a minute now. We're we talking about spiritual growth. Well, what, what, what is this? Well, well, of course, drunkenness is and was a problem for Paul. It's a problem in our culture today. Any effort to use any substance to escape reality. And that's how alcohol and substance abuse are marketed. It's an escape. You, you have to have it in order to have a, a good time. And, and, and so we understand that as Christians, the Bible clearly clearly forbids drunkenness. That's a whole another issue about your relationship to alcohol. I don't consume alcohol in any way, any shape or form. I don't allow the pastors of our church to consume alcohol. That's a, that's a personal conviction in my life. But I know Christians that land in a different place in relationship to drinking alcohol in moderation or in social settings. That, that's another debate. We can have that. I've written about it extensively. We can talk about that. But that's not what this debate's about. This debate it is, is about drunkenness. Why would Paul, in the midst of a conversation related to your spiritual walk, bring up drunkenness? It's because of what he says. Look at verse 18. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. So Paul does teach there. But be filled with the Spirit. Why is being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit used in the same sentence, and yet they're opposite experiences. What do they have in common, and how do they contrast? Well, it's real simple. Alcohol comes from the outside. You put it on the inside, and it changes how you behave. That's what alcohol does. 
as the blood alcohol level and your as your blood alcohol level increases your judgment is impaired your reaction time is impaired your speech is slurred you you get drunk you become inebriated you're not born with the holy spirit the holy spirit starts on the outside of you and at salvation he comes on the inside and as you submit to the spirit level in your life the level of his involvement in your life the level of your submission to him it changes how you behave just as alcohol changes your speech the holy spirit should change your speech just as alcohol changes your judgment the holy spirit should change your judgment just as alcohol slows down your reaction time the holy spirit should speed up your reaction time in relationship to what is righteous. I want all my church to get pulled over for an LUI, living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Go get one. I'm telling you, this is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, in your Christian walk, your energy better come from submission to the Spirit. Now, sometimes there's confusion about this. We're in for a treat this year later in 1 Corinthians because we're going to be dealing with the spiritual gifts and the view of the spiritual gift of tongues. And there are some of you who come from high church backgrounds. You come from mainline denominations, Episcopal, Methodist. Uh, many Roman Catholics are now a part of our church. And they come to faith in Christ through our church. Or they profess faith in Christ before they come to our church. And now they're evangelicals. And so I, we have a broad spectrum. But we also have many people who were raised in a Pentecostal and charismatic background who are part of our church. And I'm excited about journeying through with you in 1 Corinthians to share with you my understanding of the gift of tongues the gift of prophecy and how the spirit manifests himself in our lives today it's going to be a great year where we're going to grow together in all these things but one of the things that happens is that when people here be filled with the holy spirit they immediately think of some charismatic experience they've witnessed or some pentecostal worship service or some tv preacher slaying people laying them on the floor throwing his coat around and people supposedly being healed and and all of that confusion, that's not what Paul's referencing here. Paul never argues that you have to go chase the person of the Holy Spirit. The Bible refers to the Holy Spirit in the personal pronoun of he. There is the person of God the Father, the person of God the Son, and the person of the Holy Spirit. The three are in one. It is the Trinity. So the Holy Spirit is not a mysterious force that we manipulate. He is the third person of a triune God. And therefore, upon salvation, when we are baptized by the Spirit, which we do believe in baptism of the Holy Spirit, we believe it happens at our conversion. We receive the Holy Spirit. So when the Bible references being filled with the Holy Spirit, he's not saying, go get the Holy Spirit. The question is not you getting more of the Holy Spirit. The question is the Holy Spirit getting more of you. It's submitting more to his leadership in your life. And so when you think about your walk, the how is important. And finally, the now is important. Look what verse 16 says, and then I'm going to be very practical as we close. Look carefully then how you walk, not as wise, but as unwise. And look at verse 16. Making the best use of the time. Let me tell you where 22 is. It's gone. It's gone. 
You can celebrate God's faithfulness. You can claim God's grace for your failures last year, but it's gone. There is nothing you can do for 2022. It's gone. You can learn from it. You can benefit from God's favor in it, but it's gone. God has chosen to create us in linear relationship to time. He oversees all time, but as a God of order, he operates in time. I cannot pray in back time, even though my God is over all time. I do not pray for him to go back and change the past. That is not within the realm of what he's made available for you and me. God is a God of order, and time is progressing according to his will. And Paul says one of the senses of urgency should come in that the time is short. There's an urgency to your life. You say, well, Pastor, what if it's 500 years before the Lord returns? That doesn't mean you have 500 years to live. You have this year. And therefore, the now is important. One of the saddest people to meet is a person that says, oh, preacher, I know what I need to do. I'm just not ready to do it. I know I need to do this or do that or sort this out or stop doing this or change the nature of this relationship or get more active here or get more involved and one day I'm going to get it sorted out. How foolish it is for any man or woman to assume that one day even exists. But there's something even greater there. Can you imagine looking at Calvary and that amazing sacrifice he made for us and say, oh, well, I'm going to do something about that tomorrow. No, 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 now is important. And so today, I, I thought I would leave you with some resolutions. They're really built on the vision of our church. In fact, I know that some of you are passionate note takers, and I'm a fast talker. So don't worry, I printed them for you. You're going to get it when you leave here. Every A-type personality just went, oh, goodness, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Right, and then about half of you, when you get out the door, they go, what is this? What, did he mention this? Is this an envelope? I ain't coming back. No, I'm not asking for your money. <laughs> Eight New Year's resolutions every believer should make and keep. Resolution number one has to do with gathering. I will make it a priority in my pattern this year to gather with my church on Sundays to offer my worship. And hear God's word preach. When do we stop telling Christians to come to church on Sundays? I am not a legalist. Today is not the Sabbath. Sabbath is Saturday. Today's the Lord's day. You won't find Sunday referred to as the Sabbath in the New Testament. This is the Lord's day. But I'm living out the Sabbath day principle on the first day of the week because it was good enough for the apostles. And they began worshiping on the first day of the week because it's the day the tomb was empty. This is the Lord's day. And the Bible says, do not forsake the gathering together of the saints. Now, we recognize the opportunity for conflict, for obligations. I did a little math. This year, there are 53 Sundays because the first day of the year is a Sunday. You have 52 more Sundays. Let's say there are four that involve travel or vacation. That's good. Take mama to the beach when it warms up. She's happier. Go see your mother. Go see your child. That's fine. And then let's say there are three or four that there's just an unforeseen sickness or conflict and you can't be here. That's seven. That still leaves you 45 Sundays to be at worship. You would not want to know the statistics on how often the average 
professing Christian comes to church. It's far less than 45 times a Sunday. Mom and dad, there is no sporting activity. There is no athletic activity, academic activity, artistic activity that is more valuable than you communicating to your children that today's the Lord's day. And unless you have to work to put bread in their mouths or someone is physically sick or you are out of town occasionally, you're going to be at church. Make that a priority. And don't do church substitutes. I've heard people say, well, my child's on this team and we're gone on Sundays, but our coach does a 15-minute devotion. Well, if that works, why don't you come to church and play 15 minutes of baseball? The point is, is that what you communicate to your children by your priorities says everything about your faith. Number two, second priority, second resolution. I will make sure small group fellowship around God's word is a part of my weekly rhythm. We have over 100 here, but we can't even keep up. You need to be around God's word with other believers in some way, shape, or form, and you are intelligent adults. Figure it out. Find a way to fellowship with other believers in small group and let us know how we can help you do that. The next two really have to do with you growing spiritually. The third resolution, five days a week, I will spend time in an unhurried communion with the Lord by camping in his word. Now, camping is a program I've written. I've written a book about it. You, you can buy the book or I'll share with you the information. If you go to our website, you'll see it. Camp just stands for comprehending God's word, applying God's word, meditating on God's word, praying God's word. Think about it this way. If Monday through Friday became your rhythm, now I'm not saying seven days a week with the Lord's a bad thing. I'm saying that in life, it's good to have rhythms and it's good to have those opportunities for margin. You have 260 weekdays left this year. 260 Monday through Fridays are left this year. Isn't the Lord worth 15, 20, or even 30 minutes of those days? There's no substitute for spending time with him. You cannot manufacture a thriving spiritual life without him. Tomorrow morning, when I start my day, it will start in God's word, journaling, not sermon prep, journaling and praying the scripture. That is not because I'm supposed to be an example to you, which I am. It's because my bucket leaks. I do not do well when I don't commune with the Lord, when I'm not in his word, when I'm not praying, when I'm not asking for his guidance. And at my quiet times, often they look very unspiritual. Angels don't sing. The voice of Billy Graham doesn't fill the room. Sometimes it's just an open word and a cup of coffee, and I'm with the Lord. You be with the Lord this year. Resolution number four, I will seek out and commit to a special relationship with another believer of my gender for discipleship. I may offer guidance or receive guidance, but walking with another believer will be a part of my routine. We've tried hard not to define that because it manifests itself in many different ways. Several years ago, Lifeway did a study, or excuse me, the Barna Group did a study about discipleship, and this is what they found. I thought this is fascinating. 39% of professing Christians say they're not involved in any form of discipleship whatsoever. About 28% say they're in a discipleship community. So they're in a small group, which can involve spiritual growth, but no intense discipleship. 5% say well, the only thing they do is disciple others. That's dangerous. And then 28% are receiving that. And yet, what did Jesus say just before he left? Go ye therefore and make 
Baptist? No, he didn't say that. He, he probably thought about it, but he didn't say that. Make disciples. Find your way into the life of another person for spiritual growth. The next resolution really begins to shift toward giving. I will serve the Lord by finding or remaining in a consistent place of service within a ministry of the church. In short order, I've got to make an announcement in the next couple of weeks about a program we're having to draw back because we have a deficit, a need for 40 adults to volunteer that have not yet stepped up and signed up. That's part of the ebb and flow of a church that's growing exponentially. I realize that. I hate doing that. I would much rather every person in our church find one or two places to serve. Just one or two, not nine. One or two ministries to serve in and to use your gifts. If you've been coming and consuming and not serving, this needs to be the year you get off the wagon, grab some rope, and pull a witness. It matters. It's significant. Another way we give is our finances. Here's a great New Year's resolution. I will generously and sacrificially support my church financially with tithing my income as the goal and baseline of personal stewardship. 37% of the families at Church of the Mill give 80% of the money. 37%. Based on the Spartanburg County numbers for the average income, if every active family in our church took tithing seriously, we'd see our budget of $7 million jump to $12 million instantly. We'd be debt-free in two years, and we're proving we're not spending it on us. We're not building more buildings here. We're, we're trying to launch more churches, both across the world and across town. What does that look like in your life? The final two really have to do with your sharing your faith, with going. Here's a great resolution. I will attempt to share my faith with someone through intentional prayer and conversation on a weekly basis. Why did I put prayer first? I can tell you why. Every day in my Monday through Friday prayer list, I pray for a different person that needs Christ. If I ever get lazy in that, I find myself sharing my faith more. But the more I pray about sharing my faith, the more I am sensitive to opportunities to share my faith. Go figure, God's got it rigged. When we pray the heart of God, we do the will of God. You work with people that don't know the Lord. You ate with people over Christmas that don't know the Lord. You love and know people with your last name. Some live at your address, and they don't know Christ. You cannot save them. But sadly, the statistics bear out that most Christians aren't even talking about it. LifeWay did a study last year on this, and I thought this was fascinating. They asked non-Christians, unchurched people, about the conversations their Christian friends have. Only 29% of non-believers said their Christian friend had ever told them how to be saved. Only 35% said their Christian friend had talked about the benefits of being a Christian. Only 33% had ever talked positively about the encouragement of their local church. And four out of 10 unchurched people said their professing Christian friends Never spoke to them about the Lord. You can't control that. I'm always weary about statistics. I, I get that there are problems bigger than you and I can fix. You can control what you talk about. What if every week you said, Lord, this week, give me the opportunity to share a good word about who you are to someone in my life. And then maybe once a year, resolution number eight, find one way 
to get involved in our missions efforts. Some of you say, Pastor, my health won't let me travel. You can give. You could pray. Our missions team creates a whole plethora of options for you to look at with your family from across town to across the world. Find a way to get involved. Now, those are not the only ways that you can grow spiritually. But I can take every one of those eight resolutions and take you to multiple scriptures and show you this is the will of God. This is what God would have you do in your life. We could not end this service without living out verse 18. What does verse 18 say? Be you not filled with wine, but be you filled with the Holy Spirit. How do we invite more activity from the Holy Spirit in our life, more sensitivity to him? It comes through prayer. And I thought today, in lieu of an invitation, I'd like to call the church to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray right where you are, to come pray at this altar if you'd like to. If you need to pray with somebody, there are folks that can meet you here. You can go to our prayer room. You can stand up and pray with your hands lifted high. You can kneel at your seat if you'd like to. Just for a moment, I'd like for us to pray together. Would you assume a position of prayer? Would you bow with me? And if you feel led to come to the altar and kneel, would you come to pray in the new year? If you want to stand and pray before the Lord, if you'd like to kneel where you are, there's freedom here. As you prepare to pray, would you reverently and seriously bow your head and close your eyes and ask the Lord to clear your heart? People are coming to the altar. There's still room for you if you'd like to come. Come on. The people to your left or your right will gladly let you out. There's a lot to digest in this word, but fortunately, the Spirit's already spoken to you. If you listen to what I just said with an attentive heart and an open mind, one of those resolutions caught you, maybe two or three. Perhaps it was a challenge, maybe a conviction. I can assure you the Lord did not bring you here today to guilt you or to beat you down or to remind you of your unfaithfulness. He operates in conviction. If you've been challenged today, it's because he loves you and he wants to see you grow and he wants to use your life to bless others. Perhaps you would pray according to the scripture. Perhaps right there in the whisper of your voice, you would pray a prayer something like this. Lord, help me look carefully at how I've been walking with you. Help me be honest. Lord, give me a transparent and genuine spirit. Hold up a mirror in front of my soul and help me to see where I am. Followed up by something like this, Lord, based on where I am, what are the areas of my life that need to submit more to your will? Where would you have me repent and walk more faithfully in a God-honoring direction?
Lord, give me wisdom. Then, Lord, as I think on these things, I need your strength in me. Church, is nothing wrong and everything right with you praying, Holy Spirit, take more control of my life. Root out any dark parts in my heart and clear my mind. Help me focus. And when my energy runs out, give me that supernatural power that you promised. Church, when you pray that prayer, you're praying to the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. <laughs> Power is not a problem for Him. Submission is the problem for us. In just a moment, as we worship our way out, when you walk out, our precious volunteers from the connect team are going to hand each of you those eight resolutions don't see it as a checklist of legalism see it from your shepherd's heart laying a framework out for you to walk with the Lord in faithfulness stick it in your Bible stick it on your refrigerator put it on the dashboard more than reading it or commemorating it do it do the will of God. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Father, you are a great God and we gladly admit that our motive is found in your precious love for us that is not rooted in our performance but comes from a heart of a kind Savior who longs to be in relationship with us and see us bring glory and honor to you. Lord, you are worthy of it all. And when we get discouraged this year, when we stumble, when we fall, when we're challenged, when we face persecution or suffering, Help us to remember it's not about a track record to brag to others about. It's about standing before our great God and hearing those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. You are worthy of it all.